Hello. It is what feels like the middle of the night. Every sundown in winter feels like the middle of the night. And it is the last Sunday in February. I don't usually do work Sundays, but this piece wasn't work. It just kind of came out of me like it was ready to be here. So I'm here with you all. It's been a while since I free wrote for Threadings. We've been running a fundraiser, which has been an incredible exercise in hope and in community and in re-understanding and reimagining what is possible for this world and what's possible for my life. It's the first time, I think in my life, that I've woken up excited to be alive day after day after day. So there are longer bits coming from me about that, longer gratitudes, longer stories, longer updates, and today I wrote about family. I took a two-day rest, I submitted my final paper for the University of Chicago, so now I just have two measly assignments to turn in and then I'm done. I allowed myself the celebration of rest before this literal last, like literally a last lap. And in two days of rest, I came back to this piece that I've been halfway writing for, I don't know, a couple months. It's entitled, Unloving My Parents Again and Again, read on learning to love myself. And this is a one take reading about my feelings, <laughs> about blooming love for my parents and watching that love die and blooming to love them again. It also has a piece of po prose poetry that I wrote in the summer of 2022. So join me. I'm having rooibos tea. Shout out to Ayanda. Let's get started. Musings once entitled, a therapist reflects on the whiplash of finally having relationships with my parents I am grateful for, despite it all. I would like to start this off by saying I would be a very different person, or I would like to start this off by saying I am a very different person than I thought that I would be. When I was little and assumed I was a girl, I also assumed that I would be curated and beautiful, always. I did not dream of men in marriage, but I did dream of a house of my own, well-kept and gracefully thrown together like the living room of some suburban house mom that did drugs in her 20s. I thought I would be some kind of charming, intentional, controlled chaos alluring and enrapturing and not necessarily complex. I certainly did not dream of ending up human and disappointing. I assumed, like most almost little girls do, that the magic of adulthood would fall upon me like fairy dust and I would be made into woman, endlessly gorgeous and divinely entertaining, eternally hopeful, like my mom. As it turns out, I am remarkably and unmistakably thrown together, charms sold separately, <laughs> just like I wanted. 
I am so much like my mother, it hurts. I am the carbon copy of my father, even down to the shoddy and the remarkable life subplots as a quasi-adult, despite him praying to Jehovah God every day, pleading I end up nothing like him. Let her be good, he said. I became a stripper like six months after he and I took the picture that is pictured in the newsletter. If you aren't in the newsletter, get hit. <laughs> in this chapter of my life, these loosely bound together things called the mid-twenties, I find myself meeting my parents yet again. They feel like old friends in the way that they're covered in nostalgia. My childhood self tells me thank you for never giving up on them. My childhood self tells me they are still frightened of when they do not understand me. I am still, always, frightened of the ways they do not understand me. I have expanded my definitions of love, no understanding necessary. To know me is to know me, and many people do that. Loving is an entirely different story. There are only so many people in this world that know the exact shape and size of the grief I carry. And I am beyond fortunate to still have them in intimacy. And so much of my grief looks just like them. Just like them. The first time I tasted grief, the first time my child mind had some semblance of what's been lost, my whole world still fit in the palm of my dad's hands. I didn't know how long a life was when I was a child. I couldn't have known. The cost of premature death has no currency or tenure in a child's state because all you know is that the world is short and fleeting. I knew that death happened to us, that death hung around us all the time, that it was thick and heavy some days, but not necessarily bad. I knew that life was precious and life ended and that those two items were intertwined and blooming together. Now I know how long a day is. I have a consciousness that can stretch outside my heart and hands. I know enough to know a bit about what's been lost. Enough to feel it on my chest every day, my most favorite tumor. And enough to know that my grief will be bigger than me the rest of my life. Two steps ahead. Grief eats me alive. She savors and smacks on my flesh. I know that I can grieve a person while they're still alive. I will share with you all the little ways I've watched my love for my parents die and die and bloom again. I did not and could not account for the death of realizing my parents were shitty people. It was a quickness that took me wholly by surprise. Waves of bile overcame me when I went to college and my body caught up with myself and I began to actually remember the ways I had been mistreated. When I was around people with functional families and realized that they exist outside of sitcoms, that my plucky white peers were that way because they sincerely had relationships with their parents that weren't a constant source of instability, fear, and trauma, that 
there were ways, layered ways, intimate ways that I was scarred or changed or otherwise permanently different at their hand and at their word. And that other people, people I knew, knew in real life, people that were not fictional, had parents that they could just call and, t and talk to. And if I wanted to do something like that, I had to say a prayer and eat a meal before I could even consider making myself dizzy with that sort of stress. I learned that if I talk to my dad before a final, I'll fail the test. I learned that if I take a call from my mother before bed, I shouldn't expect to sleep for another one to two hours. Complex trauma, my first therapist said. So they were not loving, I breathed back. They weren't, they weren't even good. Oh. The grief of realizing I was a shitty person was similarly difficult. Horror at my own hands when I treated my loved ones, my friends, myself, in the same ways my parents did. When I snapped at a friend in exhaustion and heard my father. When I soaked someone in guilt and saw the hand of my mother. In the same ways that I told myself I would never be where I was. Completely and unmistakably their child, good and bad. This was bitter and disappointing and not at all surprising. No matter how long I pretended or how long my arms or how long the distance their blood grounds me to this earth. I died a quick death when processed in three to five business days. And this is the death I die every time I blink and I see them where I don't expect to. Oh, I disappeared because I felt like a disappointment again. Die the death and begin again. And then the next time I call them on the phone half the country away, I listen more than I did the last time we were there. A third king of death, one that came and went with the silence of an early dawn. Maybe, maybe there's no such thing as a bad and a good person. Maybe my parents were just people. They sent me down this river in a basket, crossed their fingers and prayed I would turn out better than them. Prayed over me I would land safe on Canaan's side. When I finally awoke and realized that I was alone, I could not believe they left me there. They just left me here to fend for myself. A baby. I had every right to be outraged. I needed them. I needed them. And here I was a baby in a basket alone. And now that I am on this other side through both hell and high water, and I have come back for them, I never realized how much stuff they were carrying down this riverbank. Their loads, their loads are so heavy. It's no wonder they sent me away. I am drifting upward like a cloud in my 20s and watching the childhood love I had for my parents germinate, root, bloom in the hardiest of conditions, die a slow and strangled death and lay barren and then begin again, all from my space from above. 
I really can only love them in the way a child does. Foolhardy and frosthardy and endlessly hopeless. The pain of watching the wide-eyed faith I had in my caretakers fade slowly is eviscerating. It's eviscerating every time. And now, it's unsurprising. It's not a pain I can brace for no matter how familiar the pain becomes. Grief is new every time when they're living, breathing beings. Grief runs in the living, breathing time that they do. Even recently, like as in days ago recently, I was faced with another simple truth. It must have been hard to have your mom wrong you in that way growing up, said a loved one. And I leapt to her defense before I even registered that the critique was right. She gave me this loved one. She gave me the apology that my mom will never upon my mother's behalf and I have to be humble enough to take it. And oh my goodness, it hurts every time. What do you mean? That that was, you mean that was pain I was feeling? And then I have a flashback to the many years that I felt nothing at all and thought, other people have emotions on a regular basis? They can feel every day, right? Fuck. It's okay to have your feelings hurt by your parents. Fuck. Being self-aware in this way feels like the worst archaeological dig of my life. I keep finding fossilized heartbreaks. All these small fears I didn't know I possessed until I brought them to the surface light and watched them fade away. I did not know my body kept myself so profoundly. I did not know my body kept me all this time. I have a chest like sedimentary rock, colors bleeding together, pressed and curved together forever. Nothing forgotten to the erosion of time. I have now also become an adult that fails my childhood self. I promised myself I would never, I never would leave me. And I have lived to see how inevitable that circumstance was. To love like a child is to assume that people cannot and will not fail you. And to love in fullness is to accept their failure as inevitable and make your love new again. Make it a little more foolhard and a little more frost hard. So I do not plant my most delicate flowers in the garden beds I keep for my parents. However, I am my own gardener. I must learn to handle my own seedlings with sweet, easy touches. Like warm summer breezes like think Chicago and July just soft like a breath I cannot protect me from myself so I will make sure that I don't have to I cannot protect me from myself or my hands or my words so I will make sure that I never have to even in ways I tried to be loving I ended up treating myself just like my parents did and we're all sorry we are all sorry and we'll begin again to love like a child is to assume people cannot and will not fail you. I also have to love myself like my own child. 
praying over her constantly, leaving her to toddle her steps into a world and trust that she can set herself on fire if need be. I think, then, to love like a parent is to assume desperately that I will always be able to keep her safe, including sending her away to keep her safe from me. A love letter to my 17-year-old self, entitled, On Finding You Again, Asleep on the Nile, written in the summer of 2022, going sober, drifting sober, crashing sober, you get it. Here I am, again, high on my porch. I feel like I've been running in the exact opposite direction of everything worthwhile. It is the middle of the night. I have slept through everything good about my day. I feel my body resetting like a clock. My soil turns over. I'm writing again. I remember when, before therapy, before friends, capital F, friends, I came to you, to me, myself, every day. Every spare breath I had was your own. I came to you with pen and soul. If there was no one to keep and collect us, I would never ever spill us, not ever, not a drop. And now, beloved, here you stand agape at me with my hand in so many people's pots. You shed like a cloak. The way you and your friends, you and your folk have wrapped around one another. You don't fear leaving a jacket at their house. It will find its way back to you in time or sink well into the home of a new love. The intimacy of a lost jacket is sweet. It has made me better. I am better at speaking now, better at remembering to call, better at seeing and hearing and feeling myself, feeling like myself, even around them. Harmonious, even. Even around them. I spend less time by myself. And altogether, this is a good thing. In my 2020, I wrote little save a refrain. My grief spills everywhere. I could not collect myself. I felt like I had failed you, and so I didn't want to come look you in the eye. It hurt to be away from you, and I thought I deserved that. I thought I deserved that hurt, and I thought you would think so too. And you were right to be scared, by the way. You are just like your parents. I couldn't see how either until other people could see and see and see me in my betterment they saw me and in my worst. I've treated you in ways that make me understand why they sent me before them alone so they could fend off whatever chased behind me so that they could run before me and greet me at the finish line and I don't regret the ways that I kept you safe. I'm sad at how much I missed and I'm sad at how much was lost to the blank haze of memory but you were sleeping. And I didn't want to wake you. I am sorry to have run from you. This is the weight of grief I knew would crush you. It was not fair. It was not fair. And I'm happy to have you now. Now we know enough about what we deserve and how long a life is to feel the weight of premature death in the flesh. How much death takes. The work of dying and of gargling grief and of choosing whether to decay pearly and white and soft or let it kill you brightly. I am encapsulated with so many different kinds of weight. I just want to sink peacefully into the earth alive enough to feel the cool humus on my skin. I will not tell you that I regret the hedonism 
instead, but instead, what I will say is that I, Jacobet, promised you a way to a future that would be soft enough to hold you close. So I bundled you and I placed you in the river and I ran. I ran night into day, me, I, Miriam, I ran alongside you, across the delta, like a melody, ran until my own legs raised their might against me, and when I could not run, I screamed until the wind carried me, until the breeze and the weeds of my own chest beat me, until there was no air up there anymore, I, having lost you, careened back down to earth, tumbling, knocked around until I was soft enough to only fall, whipped into being easy, a floating thing, a feather on the Lord's hum, until I set back onto this earth, as Batia, all lotioned and perfumed and softened, opened my eyes and remembered you just as you awoke and cried. I remember being so marveled to find that you had survived all the crocodiles of the river by yourself so beautifully just a baby and I see you as myself as if in reflection I expected this moment of collection the grand reunion to see me returned to myself to see the best of me sent down that river and received beautifully to see me reunited in the beautifully swaddled body of the Pharaoh's daughter I expected to see myself collecting you, and instead, the conscious narrator here at the end of this letter is me in 17, myself, the unnamed baby sent adrift and now grown up regarding me, you, grown and soft, looking at the pharaoh's daughter with relief and, and some contempt. You hold me in your arms and coo, and I, I, you, you, we, we look upon each other and think I never wanted to run. I never wanted to run from myself and leave me alone to face the world. No matter the battles, I would have fought them all if it meant that you never left me. Why did you leave me here? And we have always known this. There you are. 17, an infant, having arrived, learned of this world by way of meandering and happenstance. And here I am, softer from all the running, the escapism of flying. I did not come to you in ink, so there is so much I cannot remember. So much of us is lost. I want you to know that you've gotten your wish. As I write this, I'm still falling from the sky, seasoned like Icarus, and I've decided to let the grief grease us as we burn alive. The grief is burning us alive. And I know you're at peace. I know this has always been your ethos, your Ars Poetica. I know that and I love you for it. I just thought I could protect you. You're so young to be a martyr. And I wanted you to know, even if it was for a moment, what it would be like to fly weightless 
float. Love and love. NGIB. Called Ispatu. Finally. Thank you for sharing this moment with me. I hope whatever time of day you're listening to this, I hope the work of your day passes through your hands with ease. 